Here we are, part two of the Pin Your Colours to the Wall, Joe, and we're ready for, hopefully, some more divisive decisions, are we? Yeah, Pin Your Colours to the Wall, part two, Electric Boogaloo. Hopefully, we'll have some more arguments, some more disputes, a little bit more than last week. Well, it's the homecoming, isn't it, Joe? We'll save that division till last. Yeah, let's, because I think <laughs> I think that's going to get a bit fighty, so... <laughs> <laughs> Should we kick off with the NFC East? Let's kick off with the NFC East. Do you want to go first? Yeah, winners of the division. uh, I don't love it, but I think you have to say Cowboys, really. You've got the Eagles, the Giants, and Washington in that division. Washington are in complete rebuild mode. The Giants, uh, I mean, you spoke about them previously. You think they're going to do quite a bit better than they did last season. I'm not totally convinced. I, I think they'll improve, but not to the point where they can challenge for the division. And then the Eagles, who I think for me are probably my second team, although they've taken some knocks recently in terms of players that are out. Okay. I'm going to go Cowboys as well, but I'm going to be slightly different to you. I think that the Cowboys are going to really have a better season than last year. Oh, I agree. I think they are. Whereas last season, it was almost like no one wanted to win the NFC East and the Eagles and Cowboys were just terrible down the stretch. I think the Cowboys really look like they have a really strong roster now with a good mix of vets and rookies. I think the Cowboys are going to have a very strong year. I see the Cowboys blasting this. I see the Eagles being a bit better. I, like, I don't see the Eagles struggling as much as last year. And as I've said previously, I see the Giants being slightly more competitive. So this division being almost a car crash last year in terms of how bad it was at times I think will be much more competitive I think the Washington football team will still be atrocious but those three teams much better than the Cowboys winning and the Cowboys winning well 10 or 11 wins okay yeah I think maybe nine but yeah around that Uh, annoying we've started off so so well but uh, I still don't trust Dak but like you said they've got so many good players around the rest of the team that I think they'll almost carry him. That's just it. There's so many good players there. I mean, having CeeDee Lamb just fall in their laps, no one thought that he'd fall that far low and the Cowboys had to pick him. I think that the wide receivers they've got, I'll go out on a limb here and say that we talk about wide receiver rooms and good wide receiver rooms. They quite possibly have the best wide receiver room in the league now. I mean, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, those three, I mean, there's so much talent there. Michael Gallup is massively underrated. He's fast, but he runs his routes well and gets separation. They're going to be dangerous. Like, I mean, Dak just has to connect with them. Yeah. Their line is starting to creak a little bit now, but as long as that line holds up and they don't have the kind of injuries that derailed them two seasons ago when Smith got injured and that was basically the end for them, I think they'll be a very, very competitive team. Yeah. So let's not waste any more time and let's jump straight into something a bit more contentious, perhaps. Although we're going to the NFC South now. No, we're going to agree on this, aren't we? It's going to be the Saints. Yeah, it's going to be the Saints. God damn it, Joe. (laughs) It is going to be the Saints, but let's talk about the rest of the division there. I think that could be a bit more of a debate. Who do you think follows the Saints? It's hard to say, really, because you've got to make lots of assumptions for different teams here I mean are the Falcons going to improve are they going to be better in my eyes they've not really done enough in the offseason to warrant justifying them doing better I think that the Panthers are in rebuild I mean they could surprise people Bridgewater could come out and lead that team and they could do better than people expect but again you've got to believe things and you've got to make a leap I mean the Bucks as well 
ironically, I think that taking a six-time Super Bowl champion to that side is actually maybe not what the side needs. When Winston was there, even though he gave up 30 interceptions, they had to have that gunslinger because they were shipping so many points. I mean, you look at how many points the Buccaneers conceded, they had to air that ball out. That's not the type of quarterback that Brady is. He's a game controller. And you can control the game all you want, but if the defense gets on the side and then just gives away touchdowns, there comes a point where you have to air it out. And at the stage of a career where Tom Brady is, he's not airing it out like he used to. Yeah, and the Pats basically built their dynasty around the fact that defense wins Super Bowls. You're not going to win a championship without a good D. And the D that they have there is like a sieve. Don't get me wrong, the offense has kind of made the D's life harder with the amount of interceptions and keeping them on the field for a long time. There is that. But I mean, still, the amount of games where the Buccaneers gave up over 30 points, it's not a team that's going to go far that gives away that many points. They're still going to be giving away a large degree of points, I believe, because I don't think they've done enough to their D to really plug all these gaps up. So I don't want to be a Brady hater, but I just don't know if this team is the right fit for Brady. I think Brady would work better at this stage in his career with a tight team that isn't going to put him under pressure and make him do fourth quarter comebacks all the time. Yeah, I think you're right on that front. I disagree with you on the Falcons. I think they are going to take a bit of a step forward this season. Now that Hooper's gone, I think it's time for Calvin Ridley to take a step forward. And I think he's certainly got the ability to do that. I think he's going to see more snaps, certainly. You've still got Julio, who's just solid. I know that the issue was their defence last season. I think it was so bad. I just don't know if it can be that bad again. (laughs) And now they've got Gurley in, it's to be seen whether he can perform or not. But I think the Falcons will push the Bucks for that second place. I'd probably expect the Bucks to come second and the Falcons to come third, but by the difference of probably one win. I just don't think the Falcons have done enough, really. I look across that team and where have they really made big improvements? Where have they strengthened as a team on last year? Is Gurley really an upgrade on Freeman when you look at how likely it is that Gurley will get injured, the problems that he's had? Is he really that much better? I'm not convinced whatsoever. And yes, the defence has had problems. A lot of those were injury-driven, but it's been so long, really, since that defence has been good, really since their Super Bowl run. So... I just don't think they've done enough work in the offseason to become a competitive team. So then we've got the NFC West. Yep, which some argue is the strongest division. I was looking at this last night and I thought I would absolutely hate to support a team in that division. (laughs) That must suck if you're one of those. I mean, I think they're all really, really solid teams. I think, ironically, the Rams, who aside from the 49ers, were the last team to go to the Super Bowl, are now probably the bottom of this division. No, maybe. It's between them and the Cardinals, isn't it? Well, see, this is where I'm going to pin my colours to the wall here. I think the Cardinals will push for second in this division. Nah, I think we're both going to say that the 49ers are going to win. Yeah, absolutely. There's no kind of hot take here. The 49ers are a good team. They've stayed a strong team. They've added some good pieces in the offseason. I'm going to pin my colours to the wall here with a stupid hot take. But no, I kind of see this the boring way. I see this as the 49ers winning, the Seahawks being the second best team. And I think there'll be some exciting games that the Cardinals are involved in. But I don't see them really as a winning team. I think the contract they've given to Buddha Baker 
is really a kind of warning here of how they're maybe not the best run team. The size of a contract that they gave to a safety who has never made an interception in his career. In four years, Buda Baker has never made an interception and he's now the highest paid safety in the National Football League. That doesn't strike me as a particularly sensible organisation with what they're doing. So have some high scoring fun games, but I don't really see them being in the mix come January. Do you think that's because their defence is too weak? I wouldn't say their defence is too weak. I just don't think their defence is good enough. Their defence isn't good enough to be playing Russell Wilson and the 49ers twice a year. They'll get beaten. And I think too much is being put on Kyler Murray's shoulders. I don't think he's elite yet. I'm not saying that he won't be, but they've put all these tools out for him. And yeah, they'll air the ball, but... I'm just, I'm just not on the um, Cardinals train. I'm just not on that train. And so then what do you think about the Seahawks? Because I tend to feel that each year the Seahawks get a little bit more and more brittle. I slightly disagree with that. I think very different version of the Seahawks now. Whereas you go back, you know, go back five, six years ago and you had the Legion of Boom and that was the defining factor of this team. I think now the Seahawks are just a quietly efficient team. There's no standouts. There's none of those kind of personalities now. There's Richard Sherman's, those big team leaders. It's just people quietly doing their jobs and doing their jobs well and not really standing out. But it's hard to really put a massive weakness on the team. Yes, you can maybe argue that they could have some more wide receiver depth. Yes, you could argue that they could possibly have some more depth across basically all the skill positions there. But if they manage to control injuries and manage to keep players on the field, they're just a team that's quietly doing an efficient job. That's my issue with them, is that when I look across who they've got, you're absolutely right in that the players are just quietly doing their bit, but there's nothing behind them. If one of them goes down, Russell Wilson's a magician. Whether he loses a running back or whether he loses a wide receiver, he still finds a way of getting it done, which I find remarkable year in and year out. I just, I'm nervous that if they suffer a couple of injuries, they're done. And I think the Cardinals are potentially in a position to capitalise on that. I think they've got quite a bit of depth in those skill positions. And if the air game's not working, they can turn to the run game. If the run game's not working, they can take to the air. They can be a bit more adaptable than the Seahawks can. And I think that might give them the edge in a kind of 16-game season in the middle of COVID-19. Yep, I hear your point there. Like I said, though, I'm just not sold on Kyler Murray. I just don't really believe the Kyler Murray hype train. Yeah, I think that will absolutely be the defining factor. And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch this season because there's nowhere for him to hide now. There's no excuses in terms of not having the personnel around him, of not having the coaching staff to support him. He has everything he needs set up to succeed now. It's crunch time. Yeah, the only fact that perhaps sways me is Kenyon Drake. I really am a big fan of Kenyon Drake. I think he's one of the most skilled running backs in the league. He can do everything. And he came in that team and was doing things that David Johnson hadn't been doing for the last two years. So Kenyon Drake adds an extra factor and takes some pressure off Kyler Murray a little bit. Well, and you've got Hopkins, who's arguably one of the best wide receivers in the league. Yeah, but I don't think they need... Like, I don't think that Hopkins was the answer that they needed to take themselves to the next level. Don't get me wrong, having Hopkins makes them a better team. I'm not saying that it doesn't. But it wasn't like they were short of depth on wide receiver when you had Fitzgerald, you had Christian Kirk, and the wide receiver room was fine. Adding Hopkins, yeah, great, excellent, makes them a bit better, but that wasn't the area where they were having problems. 
So that's three divisions down, relatively uncontentious so far. Of course, as we said last week, feel free to get in touch if you disagree, if you've got any big takes on any of the other teams that we think we're not addressing. You can get in touch either via email on playsheetpodcast at gmail.com or you can DM us on Instagram at playsheetpodcast. We'd love to hear from you. So moving on, the thing that we probably will disagree on quite a bit here we're going to have to rein ourselves in because I'm sure that our listeners don't want to hear us having a pub argument for two hours. But it's the <laughs> NFC North here. I'm going to start off. The Vikings are going to win the NFC North this year. Like they were going to win it last year? No, no. There were issues last year, but I think that... Okay, there you go. That's a good point. There were issues last year. What do you think is fixed? Right. So the secondary... Basically, take away the safeties, the cornerback room probably couldn't have been worse last year. Players who were studs two years ago, like Xavier Rhodes, players like Trey Waynes, who should have taken the next step, and Mackenzie Alexander, who should have taken the next step as well, just did not perform whatsoever. First round pick from 2018, Mike Hughes, again, injured, didn't really step up. So the cornerbacks could not have got worse. I think in the draft of this year, Vikings aggressively pursued cornerbacks. They picked up Gladney in the first round. And then I think they've got an absolute gem with Dantzler. I think this cornerback room is going to be right up there. I think that the D-line probably still needs a little bit more investment. Griffin's gone. Linville Joseph is gone. Linville Joseph's play has been declining a little bit over the last few years. Michael Pierce was brought in to replace him, but now Michael Pierce is sitting out. I imagine the Vikings will probably get some DT depth in the last couple of weeks before the season. But Daniel Hunter's still there. And... The linebackers for the Vikings are one of the top five linebacker units in the league. So across the D, the D is looking overall, I think, better than last year. And then, you know, again, another first round pick brought in uh, Justin Jefferson in the wide receiver room. To Jay Sharp, I think will sit in nicely, adding depth in with BC Johnson for that third wide receiver spot. There's options there. And then you've got players like Irv Smith Jr., a tight end who had a great rookie year and tight ends get stronger and stronger in years two and three. I think that he's going to become a force in the National Football League over the next few years. So look, I'm seeing this with rose-tinted glasses. Feel free to disagree with me. Well, I'm going to disagree with you because I wouldn't be a fan if I didn't. To counter your point, the Packers addressed absolutely nothing in the draft. They picked up nothing that they needed, really. Sure, they got a tight end and they've let Graham go, but they picked up positions where they didn't need depth in running back and quarterback. That being said, Aaron Rodgers is the kind of guy who plays incredibly well with the chip on his shoulder. And this organization has given him the biggest chip imaginable (laughs) to go out there and prove to the world that he is not done yet and that drafting a rookie quarterback may not have been the best move. Who's he going to throw it to? He'll throw it to um, Adams. All right, all right. So teams will just leave him in single coverage. Then you got my boy Lazard set up. Look, if they thought that Lazard was that good, they wouldn't have brought in Funchess as a second wide receiver who then set out the season. But they didn't think he was that good. They don't think Lazard is that good. And he's not that good. He's fine. He's serviceable. But he is by no means a wide receiver too. He was a practice squad player a year ago. And don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't think that the organization sees him as the long-term solution. 100% not. 
No, definitely not. Well, he's not a wide receiver too. Yeah, well, they and again, they didn't pick up a wide receiver in the draft, which had yeah. the biggest depth for wide receivers. It just it, it just boggles your brain what's going on there. But I can't see anything but regression for the Packers this season. But you see, I don't think they regress. I just think they don't progress. They've not got worse. They just haven't got better. You can't stand still in this league. You can't go into a new season with the same squad as last season and just think that everything is going to be the same. That's not how it works. You have to strengthen and have to tweak because every league has seen what the Green Bay Packers in 2019 do and what they're capable of and what their strengths are. Every team has 16 games of tape to work off now. And if you're not changing, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. Aaron Jones, he'll certainly be moving forwards at an incredible pace. Will he? Yeah. Aaron Jones is just going to truck through everyone. See, you're just sounding like a fan now. And I am. Because that's that's all I can base this on. Because they I haven't am, and improved. I'm not having you say things about my Packers. Well, no, but they haven't improved. So I can't talk about how they have improved. They haven't. But I don't know. I suppose my argument is I love Matt Lafleur and what he's done with the team and how he's managed to. I mean, there is no way we should have been in the championship game last season with the team that we have. But he got us there. So you overachieved and you haven't gone forward this season. So having overachieved, if the luck turns the other way, which it often does, you can go from 13-3 here to 7-9. It wouldn't be a stretch. I think when you look at who we've got in our division, the only two teams there are Vikings and Green Bay. And I suppose what you need to identify is, have the Vikings got dramatically better than Green Bay last year? I'm not convinced they've improved massively. I think the areas they had to improve in, they've addressed. They've addressed the offensive line. They haven't addressed it enough, like in my view. Don't get me wrong. They've not got a great line. But the line, I think, will be better with Ezra Cleveland and you know some of the players they've brought through. So the line will be slightly better. The defensive line, Linville and Griffin going were big losses. And I think that if there's one thing you want to argue against my argument here, you could say that the D-line has got worse and this question is over the O-line. Uh, and I'll take both those on board. But I look at the, the cornerbacks, I think that's much better. I look at the harmony in the dressing room now that Diggs is gone. And Diggs has been replaced by a player who, you know, arguably has just a good skill set. I'm positive for this season. And I think that the Packers overachieved. I think they haven't moved forward. They're going to move backwards. So, uh, yeah, I think that the Vikings will win the NFC North. I think it's going to come down to a single game. And I think whichever team doesn't win it is going to get a wild card spot. Yeah, I think that both teams will go through, especially with this additional playoff spot. Like I said, I think the Packers will regress. I think they potentially could regress as far as seven nine. I don't think they will though. I think they'll be a. I think the Packers will be an eight eight or a nine seven team. I genuinely think that's where they'll be. I think the ceiling for the Vikings is ten six. So I don't think there's too much in it. So they're going to be low-seeded playoff teams and wildcard teams. That's how I see them. Yeah, so I, my expectation of the Packers is is 10-6, as a fan. <laughs> so if you think that 10-6 is, is kind of where the Vikings are at as well, I think it is going to come down to a single game, probably. Might even come down to head-to-heads. It definitely could do. Which, if it came down to head-to-heads, would you be confident? Yeah, yeah. You Although think the Vikings so? are disadvantaged though, because their home game against the Packers is week one, and that would be played without fans. 
That's a good point, yeah. There's that disadvantage there. I think I think week one will set the tone for this season. I think who comes out of week one with a win will be in the driving seat going forward. That's an obvious kind of comment there, but when you get that head-to-head win early doors, if the Packers do beat the Vikings week one, then I could well be wrong on this, but I think the Vikings will win week one. Interesting. I mean, I can't wait for it. I was so excited that we got this matchup in week one. It really, really sets the tone for the season. Yeah. It's the same week that we play fantasy against each other as well. It is. And we've got a bit of a close record on that as well, haven't we? 2-1. Let's move on. <laughs> so, the, so the worst team in the NFC conference. Shoot. Okay, so I feel I need to quantify this in some way. I think there is a team that I would consider the worst team categorically, but I think there is another team that will end up with a worse record. Okay. So I think the overall worst team in the conference is Washington. I think they're in complete rebuild mode. However, I I think that the division they're in, they might be able to sneak a couple of wins. I think the team that's really going to struggle is the Bears. The Bears? Yeah. Interesting. I honestly do. Montgomery's got an injury. I know it's not long-term, long-term, but it's going to put him out for probably the first two games. They weren't a great team to begin with, and they're already losing pieces. They are in a really tough division with the Vikings and Green Bay, and I actually expect the Lions to do okay. So I think they're really going to struggle this season. Interesting. I I think the Bears will struggle. I I think they're another team that's gone backwards. I mentioned previously that I think Kwiatkowski will be a big loss to them. But just counter that, I mean, you know, what happens if, say, week three, Foles comes in and does a bit of Foles magic? Doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, win loads of games, but Foles could could, uh, come in, invigorate the O. And, you know, I can see the Bears picking up five wins, six wins. I think that's quite a lot. I think it is a lot, but, I mean, it's roughly where they're at last season, taking a little step back. They still get to play the Lions twice. I don't think you're far off here. I think the Bears are a poor side. I just think that Washington are just so bad. I just can't look past them, though. Everything, I think, is going to go wrong for them this year. Ron Riviera, who we spoke about a few weeks ago, who, great coach, real good guy, got cancer, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, I know. Which is obviously terrible news, just outside of football. That's not good news at all. So we obviously wish him the best. But that's obviously going to disrupt the preparations, disrupt the team. You go outside the coach and staff, and I mean, there's more rumours coming out about Snyder every day now. And I don't really want to comment on those rumours. I think it's unfair to comment on things that haven't been proven. But it's obviously a distraction, whether true or not. And it's not a good look at all when your front office is getting these kind of allegations thrown against them. I mean, you know, just on the pitch, I mean, there's not much talent in that team at all. People talk up like Terry McLaurin and stuff. And yeah, he's a very capable wide receiver, but one wide receiver doesn't make a team. I could genuinely see them struggle to pick up a win all season. I think they're that bad because I think the Giants are a better team. And I think that the Giants will beat them twice. They could really go 0-16. and They could go 1-16. and I think two wins is, is their ceiling. But what about the Disney story of Alexander Smith? It's set up there. Hey, look, that is probably the only positive news coming out of that camp all year. And I mean, it's great to see him coming back. When you think to how close he was to losing his leg, and I mean, I regret seeing them, but I've seen the pictures of the injury and it was horrific. It was horrible. It was terrible. It was so grim. So grim. It was so grim. Like, I mean, it it is literally amazing he has two legs right now because it really looked like he was going to lose a leg. 
yeah, he's going to training, he's working out, but it seems that the team wants to move forward with Haskins and despite Smith being at training camp, he's probably not ready to play football yet. And it's a great story, but I'd still be surprised to see him suiting up at least in the first half of a year. And even if he does come back, he's, you know, a long way out of football now, nearly two years. So I wouldn't expect miracles. Okay, moving on to the player awards then. First up, player with most passing yards. Who you got? Matty Ice. Oh, me too. Have you really? No joke, I've got Matt Ryan. I can't believe you've done this. I'd rather disagree with you. Let's talk around it, okay? We can also talk about who our considerations were. I'm surprised you picked Matt Ryan, considering how you didn't think that the Falcons have pushed forward at all. So do you want to explain I still think they're going to be a losing side. They're still going to have to air the ball out. Matt Ryan was fifth in yards last year, 4,466. They're going to be losing. They're going to be catching up in games. So it's going to be the same as last year if not worse. And I don't think they can rely on a running game at all. I don't trust Gurley. Would like to be proved wrong on this, but I don't trust him. So, yeah, I just see another big year from Matt Ryan. Yeah, so I sort of half agree with you. I don't think they're going to be as losing as much as they did last season. However, in agreement with you, I think they're not going to be able to trust the run game. I think they are going to, therefore, still have to go to the air ball And I actually think the loss of Hooper possibly won't be a detriment to Matt Ryan's passing game. And as I mentioned before, I'm really expecting Calvin Ridley to eat a lot of those targets. Well, they've brought in uh, Hurst as well. Matt Ryan has never been afraid. He's the kind of quarterback that even if he's thrown a bunch of interceptions, he is not afraid to still go long. He's not afraid to still try and put it all on the line to get the win. And I think for that, he's going to get the most yards in this conference. I think they're going to be a pass-first team. and For sure. They're going to be pass-first and they're going to be a pass-last when they're losing. So, yeah, there's going to be lots of yards there. Let's move on. We agree here. Let's see if we can get some disagreement in running back with the most yards. I've gone Zeke. Oh, I've gone different to you then. Oh, thank goodness. There we go. Okay. Justify Zeke. Zeke. Zeke's going to eat hungry, hungry hippo. (laughs) So I think last season... In this division, you had C-Mac, who was leading the way with the Panthers. And then right after him, by tens of yards, was Zeke. I think he's going to see a lot more touches because I think that the Cowboys aren't going to be playing from behind as often as they were last season. I don't think they're going to lose as many games as they did last season. So where you saw Zeke not always leaving the field, but not contributing towards the end of games. I think he's going to be much more involved now. And even last season, he had 300 touches, which was absolutely massive. I think probably the only running back that saw more than that was Derek Henry. So I think if he sees more even than he saw last season, I think he's going to overtake Christian McCaffrey. And I think he'll lead the running back situation in this conference. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you in terms of who I think is going to have the most, but I think the case you make for Zeke is fair enough. And I think that Zeke will end up with more yards than McCaffrey because I think that the Panthers will just be going from behind for too much. Yeah. And teams will be focusing on McCaffrey more than ever before, really. And don't get me wrong, he's a game winner. He's a great player. I really like him. But I think that he's not going to have the season that he had last year. The player who I think will have the most rushing yards in the conference, though, I believe will be Chris Carson. 
Wow. I would love to hear your reason for that. Well, look, right. Chris Carson just seems to be almost underrated in terms of what he's doing. In terms of the conference last year, the top three players of yardage were C-Mac, Zeke, and then Chris Carson. And Chris Carson is never in this conversation. He's had problems. He fumbled it a little bit too much last year. There were seven fumbles. But fumbles are something that you can tidy up with the right coaching. Just hold the ball properly. You know, it's simple. A lot of players can't grasp it, but it is simple. Just hold the ball properly. His yards per game were similar to C-Max. He's the lead back at the Seahawks, and he doesn't really have much competition. Penny was drafted a couple of years ago, but he's never really stepped up to having a full role. I think Chris Carson, the keys are his. I think the Seahawks, like the Cowboys, will be winning games. Yes, they have the 49ers. Yes, they have the Rams. Yes, they have the Cardinals. Yes, it's a hard division they've got. Not saying that it's not, but I think the Seahawks will be a winning side. And he's going to have so many touches. 278 touches last year. He had fewer touches than Zeke. He had nearly 10% fewer chances than Zeke, but ended up with nearly the same amount of yards. He's a more efficient runner than Zeke is. My hesitation around Carson is I'm not sure he will see the touches. I think Penny has been absolutely riddled with injury and so has barely been on the field. And they've now got Carlos Hyde as well, who, look, obviously Carson is the lead back, but they're still going to be taking some touches there. I think they've got certainly not a committee. Carson's the lead back. There's no doubt about it. But they've got support there. And I think they're going to be sharing it around a little bit more. I disagree. Throughout Chris Carson's career, he's a first and second down back. right? He's not used massively in the receiving game. I mean, last season was the most that he's had, and he had 47 targets, which isn't bad. But I mean, prior to that, he had half as many through his first two years. So Carlos Hyde can come in and take those third down back duties. No problem with that. Carlos Hyde, though, let's be honest, how many teams has Carlos Hyde had in the last three years? For whatever reason, he's a player who I think looks better on paper or who looks better to coaches than he does on the field. I mean, he's been through what he's been through, the 49ers, the Browns, the Texans, and he's not stuck at any team. And I don't think he's going to stick at the Seahawks either. you just got to go on past history. Penny, like you say, he's been riddled with injury, hasn't really done much, and I don't see that changing. But he was out half of the season last season, and Chris Carson, even with Penny out for half the season, still didn't hit 280 carries. You think now that Penny's here, he's going to see more? Mate, he had 278 carries. That's still way elite level. That's way elite level. Like, Zeke only had 300. But with the other running back out for half the season. Yeah, but even if he was healthy, he'd still have that many carries. Why? You don't think Penny's getting those touches? No, I don't think that Penny is. I think he is. They still want to make a success story out of him. No, no. Here's why, right? Zeke had basically no competition in the running game whatsoever. Zeke was the only running back for the Cowboys, basically. Pollard was around, but he had very few touches. Zeke was the main man, and Zeke had 300. You're saying that Penny was a competition. Penny was around for half the season, and Carson still had 278 touches. When Penny's back for a full season, he doesn't eat into his touches. He just doesn't. Carson is that lead back. I think he does, and I think this would be an interesting prediction to see. I'll say on the record, that I think Chris Carson gets less than 250. Okay. I don't think he'll even be the third highest rusher in this conference. <laughs> I'm writing these down all in a list, mate. Write them down. I'm writing them down. Write them down. 
Right, there we go. That was a nice bit of debate. <laughs> so do you want to go receiving yards? Yeah, so I'm going with one less contentious here. I'm going to say uh, by the time his career is finished, Michael Thomas will be perhaps in a Mount Rushmore of wide receivers in the National Football League. I mean, the rate he's going so far in his career, he's going at a rate of first ballot into Canton. We're witnessing something special with Michael Thomas. All that he needs really in his career will be a few rings. Michael Thomas, by a long way, he'll lead the whole league in yards. Yeah, completely concur with that. I think he is an absolute force. With Breeze feeding him, I mean, it's just the dream situation. I think that the Saints are going to have a very strong season. And I think the thing about Michael Thomas is it's the yards after the catch that he makes that just makes his yardage look fantastic. 100%. It would have been silly for either of us to really... I thought about Julio Jones because I thought, uh, to your point, if they're chasing... Is he going to pick up that yardage? But to be honest, I think he got a lot of yardage last year and still can topple Thomas. I think he was still behind by a fair bit. It's his catch rate, right? Michael Thomas catches 80.5% of the balls thrown his way. That's what he did in 2019, which is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Julio Jones caught 63% of the balls thrown his way. Wow. Kenny Golladay caught 56% of the balls thrown his way. Keenan Allen caught 69.8%. He's basically 10% more than every other wide receiver in the league at catching balls. You throw the ball at Michael Thomas and he will catch it. It's ridiculous. Although I will say Drew Brees is arguably the most accurate quarterback in the league. His accuracy is unrivaled. I don't think that has much to do with it. And I don't think that is the case now because Drew Brees is hitting that really dangerous age for a quarterback now. Yeah, he is. Everyone's just waiting for Drew Brees to fall off a cliff now. I'm not saying he will fall off a cliff. I think it will be more kind of managed than that. But it's not Drew Brees. It's Michael Thomas. It's this catch rate. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is because, you know, Rodgers is a great quarterback as well. I mean, Rodgers, I'd argue, is perhaps the most accurate quarterback in the league. But if you look at the catch rate of Devante Adams, it's 65.4. I mean, I'm a Green Bay fan. I still think Brees is more accurate. But yeah. I agree with what you're saying in so much as Thomas is an exceptional talent and I had no idea his catch rate was that much higher than everybody else and that just shows you what a talent he is. It's just a different level, an 80.5% catch rate and what's more, he's got so many targets. He had 185 targets. That's like 30 more targets than Julio Jones. It's so many targets. So you'd expect that with that many targets, you're going to not catch quite a few. He's catching everything thrown his way. Michael Thomas... He's a different level. Yeah, absolutely. Because the other thing is, the Saints weren't behind in a lot of games last season. And look at the number of targets he saw. So He's a possession-wide receiver. Yeah. If you need to make third down, just throw it Michael Thomas's way. Because he will catch it and you will get a third down. That's it. So I don't expect his targets to go down. You could argue that his catch rate might drop. If it's that high, you might say that that could potentially be his ceiling. But... Either way, you'd feel that he's got everything working for him to repeat being top wide receiver in the league. How's this right? Michael Thomas had 91 catches that went for first downs in 2019. Chris Godwin made 86 catches full stop. He had five more catches for first down than Chris Godwin had catches full stop. Which Chris Godwin? 
(laughs) (laughs) I like this because here's the thing. Obviously, it's great for us to disagree and for there to be discussion and debate. But at the same time, if we're coming out with ridiculous takes when there are clear answers in front of us, it just means that we're not giving good information. I'm not going to take a hot take just for the sake of taking a hot take. Like... This isn't fantasy pros. <laughs> oh, there goes our sponsorship from them. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, this isn't what this show's about. We're not trying to be controversial for the sake of being controversial here. I just want to be right. And that's why I'm 100% behind Michael Thomas. Okay, so now we're on to our defences. Most sacks. Cowboys. Okay, we're going to disagree here. This is good. I did consider the Cowboys because I really... Every single season, I think... Their defence should be better than it is. And if it does click, boy, a team's going to be in trouble. And especially the teams that are in that division. But talk me through it, Joe. I'm basing this purely on the front seven of the Cowboys, which, regardless of the injury to Gerald McCoy, is just ridiculously stacked. You've got Demarcus Lawrence and Everson Griffin as your defensive ends. Dontari Poe in the middle. Got Antoine Woods in now in place of Gerald McCoy, and so that's where we've lost a little bit of strength there. But I mean, Lawrence, Poe, and Griffin in that defensive line is going to be a mean defensive line. You've got Poe in there to stop the run. You've got Griffin and Lawrence who should be tearing things up on the edges. Then behind them, you know, Leighton Vanderesh, who I think is one of the best young linebackers in the league. You've got Sean Lee, who's probably not the force that he used to be, but he's certainly not bad. And then Jalon Smith as well. I mean, there's depth there as well. You've got Joe Thomas behind them. Depth in the defensive ends with Aldon Smith. I think this is a very, very dominant 4-3 front seven. (laughs) And they get to play Washington twice. I've talked up the Giants, but they get to play the Giants twice. And then as well as that, there was an injury to the Eagles starting left tackle, Andre Dillard, which is going to weaken their line as well. So all the teams that the Cowboys get to play twice are teams that you'd think are going to give up quite a few sacks. And this is a front seven that doesn't need a second invitation. Yeah, uh, the Cowboys were my second choice, but I've been burnt too many times before, Joe. I couldn't go back there. I you just saying this, like this second choice thing. So when it comes to towards the end of the season, and I'm right, you can say, yeah, well, they were my second choice. Uh, no, because I'm still going to be right. All right, hit me with it then. Who? You ready for this? Yeah. The Rams, baby. All right. I think that the Rams are going to be the bottom of their division. I think that their offense is really kind of petered away from where it once was. I think it's going to put the defense on the field a lot more often. And I think any time that you've got Aaron Donald and Dante Fowler Jr. on the field more than they arguably were previously, I think they're going to get sacks. So, for me, it's the Rams. Who did you say with Aaron Donald? Dante Fowler Jr. Don't tell me he's moved. Mate, he he uh, he plays for the Falcons. No. Yeah, mate. <laughs> he's been with them for a few weeks. I was on holiday. I go to Cornwall for one week, and they're messing with my picks. What is happening here? Well, and and he was me bigging up. I'm not going to be wrong. I very much likely am going to be wrong now. I can't see the Rams doing this on their own with Aaron Donald. Um, Well, I mean, that makes the Falcons' defense a bit better. 
Yeah, but I wouldn't put the Falcons as a sack leader still. No, I wouldn't put them as a sack leader, but I think when we're talking about them being behind a lot, sure, it's only one defensive tackle, but helps. It makes their defense less bad than it was last season. So are you switching your argument now from going from the Rams having the most sacks to the Falcons having the most sacks? Is that what you're doing? No, 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 no. I'd still go Donald over Fowler anyway. So <laughs> I'll have to stick with the Rams, but I certainly I'm maybe not as confident as I was about 30 seconds ago. So aside from Aaron Donald, who'll probably now be triple teamed, where are those sacks coming from? Aaron Donald? <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Let's move on from sacks. Uh, interceptions. This has crushed me. I I feel weak. <laughs> well, all right. I'll go first. Right. If it makes you feel better, interceptions, Green Bay. That's my oh, argument. Oh, yes. That's what I've gone. It's literally all I'm relying on Green Bay to pull us through the season. I think that our defense is very well set up in that we actually, I don't know how we do it. But we seem to encourage people to make those plays that we get interceptions. I saw a stat the other day in terms of like percentage plays that led to a potential interception, like Green Bay top top the charts there. Teams just love to throw balls into situations where they are primed to be intercepted. And I think if we're going to have any form of success this season, we are going to need to rely on our defense a lot. Uh, yeah, to kind of break it down a bit more, I think that secondary there, there's consistency from last year, the four key players, the two starting cornerbacks, Kevin King and Alexander, and then Adrian Amos and Donald Savage Jr. as the safeties, same four players from last year going into this season, between the four of them they had 11 interceptions, they're a very effective unit, and I think in terms of a pure secondary, there's probably the most consistent talent that is identified in the NFC. I think, like I said, I was talking up the Vikings, but Dantzler and Gladney haven't actually taken the field yet, so it would be silly to hype them up too much. I think that the unit, which Green Bay are the most effective unit, is their secondary. It's been good. I see it being good again. So yeah, look, I think that they're going to get the most interceptions. That's very big of you, Joe. Well done. Look, I'm a fan, but you've got to kind of give talent where talent's due. And there's depth there, and they've got linebackers who can get interceptions as well. So look, yeah, I, I see it being Green Bay. Yeah, I hope it is. That's another reason why I put them down. <laughs> I'm just trying to hang on to something here, Joe. Since the draft, it's not been pretty to be a Green Bay fan. So as a show here, really, we're not really kind of making predictions as individuals. We've almost made predictions as a show because we seem to agree on the winners of the East, South and West. We agree on the quarterback with the most yards. We agree on the wide receiver with the most yards. And we agree with the team with the most interceptions. The differences we have are who's going to win the NFC North, but that's perhaps more emotional between us. Yeah. We differ on who the worst team will be, and we differ quite strongly on who the running back with the most yards will be. i tell you what we haven't discussed yet, actually, which we can just wrap up with very quickly. Who are going to be the two teams in the championship game, and who do you think is going to go on to Super Bowl? I think we're going to agree here, you know, as well. But go on. This is me pinning some colours out here. Really pinning some colours. Because I'm not going to go with the obvious one that you think that I'm going to go with. What, even for the championship game? Even for the championship game. Oh, okay. So, I like the 49ers. I think they're a well-run organisation, but I don't think they're a dynastic team yet. I don't think they're going to be consistently in Super Bowls yet. There's still a little bit of work to do there. I think they'll make it to the championship game, but I don't think they'll make it to the Super Bowl. 
No, because I don't think they're going to get a seeding like last year. Uh, last year, they ran away in the first half of the year, got that first seeding, and then had an easy run through playoffs. Saints versus Cowboys in the championship game. Cowboys. Uh. I just look at that depth chart. Like I said, their front seven is intimidatingly good. The talent that Dak Prescott has available to him, there's just absolutely zero excuses there. He's playing on a franchise tag, so he's got literally every weapon that he could possibly want. Go and do it, lad, or you're not getting paid. I mean, Saints going through the Super Bowl. Well, there we go. We've agreed on everything. Um, People need to take this the right way when I say this, but I think the Cowboys are a bit like the Browns of this conference. And I don't think they're as bad as the Browns, but I just think they continually underperform. And every time that I think they're going to deliver, they don't. And so I just can't back them. I don't expect them to do as well as they should based on their team on paper. As a result, I think the 49ers will be in that championship game. I think the Saints will also be in that championship game. And like you, I think the Saints will go on to the Super Bowl. The Saints have been so, so, and you'll know this as a Vikings fan, incredibly unlucky in their Super Bowl runs. They are always knocking on the door, but keep getting shut down by you boys as it happens. (laughs) And I think this season will be the season that they finally break through. And I think they'll even go on to beat the 49ers and go through to Super Bowl, at which point, I expect them to fall to the Chiefs. Yeah, the Saints have been very unlucky. Well, yeah, but you make your own luck as well. But I mean, yeah, you look at the Rams game, that was unlucky because that should have oh, been called. that was horrendous. Yeah, but the Vikings beat them fair and square twice. Yeah, um, so, in fairness. So the last three years, we thought they'd go deep. For whatever reason, they didn't. One of those times, it's not really on them. It was a bad call. But the other two times, they were beaten. To challenge you on your Cowboys point, I like that take about them being like the Browns, but new coach, new players. I get what you're saying, that they've been too much of an 8-8 team over the last few years, and that is true. But what can Mike McCarthy do with them? Can he, you know, take them over edge? He's got a ring. He knows what it takes to get a ring. Arguably, he's the right person there to push him over the edge and take him further. Yeah, and you know what? As a Green Bay fan, people are relatively torn on Mike McCarthy. When he left, it kind of wasn't with a, a bad taste in my mouth. I actually think he has been a very good coach and I think he could turn the Cowboys around. I just don't know if the changes he makes, they take time. You know, everything that he's done at Green Bay, it's been a gradual process. He's not the kind of person that comes in and dynamically changes something straight away, but he builds over time. And I think the Cowboys will need to be patient with that before they start seeing the levels of success that they might be hoping for. Yeah, maybe he'll just have to stay out of the steam room when practice is going on. The mental image is not worth thinking about. Well, look, it's been a great show. Uh, Chaz, hit the listeners with that email address and uh, social media stuff once more. Yeah, so if you want to get in touch with us, even if it's just to ask any questions, to have something discussed on the podcast, whatever it is, we're always happy to hear from you. So you can email us at playsheetpodcast at gmail.com or you can DM us on Instagram at playsheetpodcast. So we're a week away from a season opener now. The excitement is building. Join us next week when we'll be doing a rundown of that week's games and getting very excited for the season. Uh, I can't wait for it, Joe. I'm so I'm so ready for it. Are you going to be all tooled up, all the gear? 
and all the idea. <laughs> you know me. You know me. That's it. We've got to be kitted out. Let's get some photos out there. And as well, we want to see photos of you in all your memorabilia, all your gear, ready for game week one. We can share it on the Instagram. It would be great to get some of that stuff out there. See you all next week. See you next week. <laughs>